This episode of the Beauté Industry Podcast was brought to you by Murad Skincare Australia. Hello and welcome to the Beauté Industry Podcast, your online support community for the professional beauty industry. I am your host, founding director of Beauté Industry, Tamara Reid. Here, we are closing the competitive gap and speaking your language. This is a platform created and dedicated to the professional beauty industry, valuing community over competition. We serve to help connect you with inspiration from industry experts, expand your knowledge through educational pieces, and bring you the latest in product and technology innovation. This is Beauty Industry. Today, my guest is Kristen Robinson from Murad Skincare. 20 years ago, a young acne-suffering teenager fueled and fed Kristen's passion for skincare. Frustrated and dissatisfied with traditional westernised medicine, think rounds of antibiotics and harsh prescriptions swiftly scribbled during dermatologists' rapid-fire visits and potent-smelling topicals led to a personal quest to solve her own and others' acne skin issues. After graduating with a BS in biochemistry and working in a skin technology lab, Kristen left her East Coast roots to specifically contribute to the success of Murad. A dermatologist ran steeped in a non-traditional connected beauty approach to skincare and healthful beauty that she had greatly discovered years prior to became a lifelong fan. In her roles as assistant manager, manager and now senior director of new product development, Kristen has been able to work by Dr. Murad's side directing technology and formulation direction with her team to create and cultivate from concept to production award-winning efficacious skincare steeped in Dr. Murad's cellular water principle. Starting in 2007 with over 70 plus innovations, including some of my favorites, such as Invisiblur, Rapid Relief Acne Spot Treatment, Revitalixer Recovery System, Nutrient Charged Water Gel, Multi Probiotic Cleanser, and Mist, and the number one selling retinol in the US, Retinol Youth Renewal System, Kristen continues to help orchestrate the development of Murad's topical skincare and internal supplements for Murad's professional and retail customers. If you are an ingredient and an exfoliation buff, then you will love our deep dive on alpha and beta hydroxy acids, retinols and percentages today. Definitely grab your notebooks and your pens out for this one. Here's Kristen and I for Beauty Industry. Kristen, welcome to the Beauty Industry Podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. My pleasure. Likewise in having you. I'm excited to get stuck into all of the ingredient things today, the exfoliants, the retinols, the AHAs. I can't wait. It's going to be one of my favorite topics. But before we do, I would love to start back at the very beginning of your career, a question that we ask all of our guests, how did you enter into beauty and aesthetics? I love this question because it gives me the opportunity to really speak about my passion and this journey of like my love of skincare. Um, so I have actually been with the Murad brand in innovation since 2007. And the way that I got my start is basically um, at a young age, my struggles with acne. 
So I had very bad, like non-inflammatory acne across my forehead. I had cystic acne across my cheeks and my chest and my shoulders that kind of my selfless mother took me around to the tri-state area of dermatologists in the small town that I lived in um, to try to prevent her story from becoming my story. So she had had acne as an adolescent. She had had severe scarring from that acne. And I was kind of on that track, it seemed of going the same way. And so from seeing these westernized dermatologists, um, it really formed and fed in my acne issues and quest to fix it. It formed and fed this passion for skincare and really specifically acne. But what happened is that I really left the derms office with just dissatisfaction, not feeling fully satisfied. Yes, I got my prescription product, but it was tended to be harsh. My skin would get worse before it would get better. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be on, you know, rounds of antibiotics, stinky sulfur medications and makeups and bar soaps that, you know, made my skin irritated. And so I just kind of felt there, there needed to be something better. And through, I guess, early years of university, my infomercial, um, exposure. I saw an infomercial about Murad or a catalog about Murad. And I fell so in love with the philosophy where skincare is healthcare. And Dr. Murad really infused his dermatology practice far beyond just Westernized medicine. He was really looking at internal topical, um, and emotional. And so for me, especially dealing with acne at a young age where, Yes, I was teased and bullied about it. And luckily I kept a a sense of self-confidence. I still stayed active in sports and um, whatever I could do. But even in those experiences, I was traveling to track meets um, with my skincare regimen. I was going to sleepovers with my own clean pillowcase. I had, you know, just this obsession with like, you know, my skin that as I looked around, my friends didn't seem to have to be um, experiencing. And so I got my degree in biochemistry thinking I would become a dermatologist. Um, I ended up not going into medical school, deciding that wasn't for me. And I worked for a year at a branch of in the United States, what's called the CDC. Um, And this branch was NIOSH. And I did um, testing for something called oh my gosh, beryllium disease, chronic beryllium disease, which was something that you could get through your skin, but it would deposit in the lungs. And so anyway, for a year, I, I studied that, but it still wasn't skincare. And so I ended up in this role at Murad by simply turning around my Murad products, looking at the back of them. It's at Los Angeles, California. And I thought, how can I contribute to the success of this brand? This brand that has meant so much to me as a skeptic, you know, studying the sciences myself, looking at products that had, you know, efficacy claims that was really important to me. And back then, Dr. Murad was really breakthrough with that type of doctor brand, that type of clinical efficacy, investing in the formulations, investing in the way in which they're tested for proven efficacy, being a derm and a pharmacist meant so much to me. And then to have this twist, um, you know, yes, he's very clinical, but very clinical with soul. Um, This, you know, almost like Easternized um, and just these highly visionary philosophies that he's, he was weaving in and still does to his skincare product and his, um, the way he treats skincare as healthcare was just so compelling to me. So I ended up um, in product development in 2007, you know, working hand in hand with Dr. Murad and I've been there ever since. So 
kind of a long-winded answer, but it really all started with this genuine passion, my personal experiences with acne, and it led me to the Mira brand. Amazing. Wow. What a story. I mean, you know what I love about that so much is that these days I think estheticians and therapists and people in general, when they're looking for a job, they just kind of go on the job searching websites and just apply for everything. And then there's really no passion or purpose kind of behind the company that they're working for. Whereas I love what you've done. You've, you've used the product, you've kind of qualified it in your own mind, and then you've gone, okay, now how can I work for this company? This is the only company I want to work for. Yes, I was laser focused. It was almost like manifesting the, the, that kind of destiny where, you know, I, I moved from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles without that role solidified. Um, and I, so many of my family and friends were recommending so many other brands that are in the Southern California area. And I thought, no, like it's Murad or bust. Like it has to be something that means something to me that I'm passionate about. And it does serve me well. I mean, this is a very requiring field. There's, you know, constant kind of attention and education and content, um, to absorb and understand and, um, it's what drives me and what's kept me at Murad for so long is that, that personal hook and that personal, um, just belief in, in what it is that we do. So it's very, um, I guess, fulfilling to be able to work, put my work towards something that means so much to me personally. Um, and just, I feel so excited about the way that, you know, we approach, uh, our formulation and being at the heart of that. It's, so exciting. So I do recommend for people to really think about what it is that they love when they're thinking about careers. I feel like, it, I think there was like a book called What Color Is Your Parachute a long time ago. I don't know if it's still popular today. And that kind of, I think that really helped me see coming from a small town, I felt very limited in terms of opportunities. And I just really got into the idea of like, what do I want to do every single day? What do I enjoy talking about and being a part of? And it wasn't my first career by any means. Like I said, I, you know, I had to work in toxicology. And in fact, I had another job doing um, marketing for a healthcare consulting firm. And, and that wasn't skincare at all, but I got so many wonderful um, almost like a preparatory school for the professional world. Um, and so I, I also would encourage people to not get discouraged, to mm. keep, to kind of really stay true and hold on to that passion or that dream and um, talk to enough people about it, think it through for yourself um, enough, do, do some research and reading and it all sort of does start to form and come together. So it takes work. It didn't happen overnight, but it certainly happened. And I, I feel so fortunate, even, even from the ability to take something that was so, um, negatively impactful, let's say having acne and what that world looked like for me, um, you know, as an adolescent, but turning it into something so positive, it's, it's such a great feeling. So. Absolutely. I think every, negative experience or every job that's not your dream job equips you with skills to get you to your dream job, right? And when you get there, you're like, oh my goodness, I never thought I would use insert X skill or I never thought that lesson I learned would be applicable in this role, but it always ends up being that way. 
Yes, that is exactly right. That that's how I felt. And it was even in my like first day at Murad, the things that we were, Dr. Murad was talking about skin immunity and longer Han cells. And I was thinking to myself, whoa, looking back to when I wasn't that excited about, you know, what I was kind of doing in that tox lab, because I was like, oh, this isn't acne. This isn't like, you know, this was such a micro level. I wanted more of that macro level. And it was the first concepts that we were talking about for product development. And I thought, oh my gosh, like it just, it starts to click. And I think you're absolutely right. All of those prior experiences, there are little stepping stones and lessons along the way that get weaved throughout whatever your story is that you're writing, you know, of, of yourself and your path and your journey. It does start to all come together. It's kind of like this pinch me moment. That's like slightly scary, but, um, it's, I don't know. I, I'm a huge believer. <laughs> Absolutely. So am I. Um, now you mentioned there that Murad um, is like a pioneer, right? In the skincare industry. And certainly when it comes to formulations, and I'd love to dig a little bit deeper there if we could, because um, Murad was a pioneer in bringing AHAs into the beauty and skincare industry. And we've actually talked to Dr. Murad in a prior episode. So I'll pop that link in um, to the show notes because he touched on this as well. Well, but from a formulator point of view, what is so special about AHAs in our skincare? So we kind of, one of the things I'll say, because I'm in formulation is we kind of mimic the approach that Dr. Murad took to his patients. So as a derm and in his practice, he saw, you know, everyone as kind of their own individual set of needs. It wasn't sort of, um, you know, I don't want to call it personalization, but it was really understanding, like even for acne, you would say, you know, I, can you believe that I don't have any acne patients? I have patients with acne. Um, and he was looking at lifestyle. He was looking at all of these other holistic elements. So when we think about formulation, we're thinking about the skin need as well. So in this case with AHAs, what we love about them is getting that nice sort of chemical exfoliation in a, in a retail product, you know, we're using different levels a different pH than we are, let's say in a professional, I know many estheticians tune into this podcast than you would do an esthetician level. His research in his derm practice very early on really got him involved in kind of testing and playing with ways to give people brighter, smoother, almost immediate gratification benefits um, and also kind of drive other ingredients, you know, into skin that's properly, healthfully exfoliated. And AHAs, what he found with AHAs is that he could get the ultimate result by using something like glycolic acid, which is where it, he all kind of is the pioneer in glycolic acid for topical skincare. So when we're formulating um, typically our treatment products, um, many of them will feature glycolic acid. So glycolic acid can actually be a humectant. It can be an exfoliant. Certainly that's how we leverage it most. Um, and over time, and I think people maybe don't look at it as more of um, even a key efficacy ingredient. And there are studies of long-term use of glycolic acid. You can actually help with, you know, collagen build in the skin, um, mm. kind of redensifying the skin as well. So they're kind of these like long-term anti-aging benefits, but I think the main purpose that we're incorporating glycolics into our topical care is exfoliation. And what you're getting from that exfoliation is the removal of those dead surface cell layers that can dull the skin. 
um, you're getting a smoother texture. So tactilely, a smoother texture and then a nice reflectance of the skin as well. So you kind of get that, um, you know, that glow um, of having had maybe, you know, a facial, let's say even from a, an esthetician. So that's, that's really what we're doing when we put glycolic acids in, we can also look at lactic acid and other, you know, alternative AHAs. Sometimes we are combining those, um, to get, you know, deeper, deeper kinds of levels of exfoliation, um, or maybe alternative benefits and put together. And it's for us never about a singular ingredient. Mm. Um, I think, you know, when you're asking about how we're approaching our formulations, it's not a percent for us as much as it is the um, collaboration of the ingredients together to drive performance. So it's performance over percentages. And we find that we can actually, you know, I think we'll probably talk about retinols later in the call. But when I think about that's, that's always an area where we get asked about what percentage of retinol are we using? And we keep that, that information often proprietary because if we were limited, like, um, I don't know, if we were limited to only using, you know, one ingredient, um, then yeah, like you're gonna get a trentinoic acid maybe as a prescription at levels of percent. And often those prescription products aren't as sophisticated in terms of their formulations. They're very basic. They're driving that one ingredient modality with you know a chassis. We don't have to only work with one singular ingredient. We can actually put unique ingredients together, sometimes a booster, um, boosters that have been shown with a lower level of X ingredient, you can actually drive just as much cell renewal than if you used a higher level of that ingredient. And with certain ingredients, it, it starts to make this beautiful philosophy because now you can drive the efficacy of a retinoid without the, the unhappy skin journey, you know, without the redness and the peeling and the flaking and getting worse before you get better, you can actually improve the, enhance the quality of the skin where it's getting better every day. Um, even with some of the, this combination of ingredients that we used in our retinol formulations, we were seeing some of our panelists and that would be in our, like a clinical study, which at Murad, we run clinicals on all of our formulations to show their efficacy. And there some of the panelists that actually started a bit red, um, they got less red over a retinol regimen, which is quite compelling. Um, and again, it's for us a philosophy of combining ingredients, combining strategies, thinking of the skin physiology, what's the journey of an acne scar or a dark spot, and what ingredient wardrobe can we look at to highly curate this collection of ingredients um, that can actually help that skin concern or that skin issue and do it in a way that um, I guess is a happy skin journey is kind of the best way I can describe it. Um, so yeah, I hope that answered your question starting off with AHAs, but moving into, I think our formulation strategies are more about collaboration, mm -hmm. um, like a, you know, the, the, co the cohesiveness, I guess, of a collection of, of ingredients and how they work together to drive the benefit, the efficacy, um, whether we want to try to make, uh, make that formulation have more of, um, 
a rapid impact. So sometimes we're thinking about, well, we're challenging ourselves. Like, can we make an impact, an improvement with a retinol product, which typically takes four weeks, let's say to six, before you really start to see something? Can we try to drive some results sooner? Can we do it in two? And what does that look like? And, and so other ingredients might help us get there. The retinol may not. Um, and so we can really start to curate this beautiful formulation, wonderful aesthetics, and get the efficacy without the downside. After the break, Kristen and I explore her reservation towards non-professional skincare percentages and the unsung hero of skincare prebiotics. But first, a word from today's beauty partner. We have been chatting about it all morning. Murad is clinical but cool. Doctor but hardly dull and science but not stuffy. Founded by dermatologist and pharmacist Dr. Howard Murad was the first modern doctor brand in the market in 1989, setting a new standard for high-performance skincare. For over 30 years, Murad has based its products on scientifically proven formulas and technologies to help people achieve the healthiest, most beautiful skin possible. Inspired by Dr. Murad's lifelong commitment to science-backed wellness, Murad is so much more than just a skincare product. They create products and professional experiences not only for healthier skin, but for happier lives. They also focus on achieving your client's skin goals, not just skin concerns, and look to an inclusive health philosophy. Murad believes that skincare is not just superficial because it's healthcare. And when you have a beautiful skin, it's a sign that you have a healthy body and mind. And Dr. Howard Murad said that himself. Murad stands for skincare, healthcare, and self-care. You can mention Butte 2O, that's Butte 20, for a 20% discount on your first opening order and discover how Murad can transform your skin and business by connecting at www.murad.com.au. Thank you so much to the team at Murad Skincare Australia for making this episode of the Beauty Industry Podcast possible. And now back to Kristen. It's interesting that you mentioned there, you know, retinol is such a, a hot topic. You know, I think um, some estheticians are quite scared about it or a little bit nervous to prescribe it. And um, particularly when you say there, that kind of red and, and almost reactive skin sounds like it was slightly inflamed. I think a lot of people would be hesitant to, to prescribe a retinol to that skin. Um, but there are many forms of retinol and vitamin A. Can you just speak to, to that a little bit? Absolutely. So what you would get if you were getting a prescription retinoid would be um, retinoic acid. So retinoic acid is the, I guess it's what is recognizable to ourselves. So once you apply any sort of retinoid on your skin, and it could be a downstream or sorry, it could be like an upstream derivative of a retinol, like a retinol ester, retinal palmitate, for example, um, that is something that has to go through several metabolic steps before it becomes retinoic acid, before it becomes recognizable to the cell to then, you know, have the cell take on the steps that you want to kind of increase the cell metabolism, the renewal, um, you know, play, play the role that all the wonderful benefits that a vitamin A would give to the skin. So the ester form, I guess you could almost call it as more of like a storage form. 
Um, and then there are forms between that. So the, you think of the retinal esters as being the most upstream, um, the furthest from retinoic acid, and then something like retinol itself or retinal, retinaldehyde. These are all derivatives or forms of the retinoid or the vitamin A that are closer. There are less metabolic steps for them to become retinoic acid. Mm -hmm. So, um, the downside is when, when they're closer to becoming retinoic acid, they often can have more of that irritation potential. Whereas when they're further away, it's a much gentler approach. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think the way that we kind of put our retinols together is we played across that spectrum of derivatives um, and we incorporated retinol technologies that act as boosters. So we could enhance um, the uptake of the retinoic or, or the retinoid, you know, um, to the cell, um, as well as kind of feed a cadence to the skin. So I like to think of this analogy of like, if you're the cell, um, and you like to drink orange juice, orange juice is retinoic acid. Mm. That's the drinkable form of, of an orange retinal palmitate that ester, maybe that's the orange tree. Retinol might be the orange. Hmm. Retinol might be the orange, but I peeled it. So right. see, we're getting like closer and closer to being orange juice, but hmm. I'm not bombarding you and pouring orange juice everywhere and it's overflowing and spilling and it's a mess. It's kind of this, it's more of this cadenced approach. So and, and that's not the only feature in the way we formulated our retinol products. There are certainly, you know, supporting cast ingredients as well, you know, that help with barrier or help with um, expediting uh, lines and wrinkle and, um, improvements, um, you know, different strategies that just make for a product that's going to give you very potent anti-aging benefits or youth building benefits. But again, in without the redness, the flaky, um, the, the drying, the irritation. Mm, yes, yes, love it. And I think that's important to understand because often um, estheticians just want the highest percentage, you know, and, and we just look for the more and then we talk to that message to our clients we yeah. give them that communication they go shopping around they just want them more and as you mentioned before more. more is not always more more can be a higher percentage but maybe it's a higher percentage of the lesser effective product and it doesn't convert as well or maybe it's not as stable or perhaps it oxidizes so when it actually gets into the skin it doesn't have such an amazing benefit as we think it does just because it's a higher percentage. Yeah. It's difficult. I, I, you know, working in the skincare industry, I'm overwhelmed. It's overwhelming. So I can only imagine for a consumer to understand, yeah, they just think more is better. They just mm. automatically think that. Um, and that's not always the case, even with some ingredients, as we're looking at what we want to put into formulation and you look at the data on that ingredient, it's not always dose dependent. Sometimes mm. you get a better effect at a lower level than you do a higher level. Mm. Sometimes you get a better effect when you pair it with something. Sometimes you don't, you get an, a negative effect or, you know, a less of effect if you pair it with something else. So it's, it's very tricky. It's almost hard to explain, but I guess if I had to, in a nutshell to uh, a beauty um, consumer, more is not always better. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned their pairing things. And um, I know in quite a few of your products, you've got retinol and you've got AHAs and acids in there, which again, probably feels like, um, you know, oh my goodness, how can I prescribe this to my client? Yeah. Or maybe there's a really limited amount of clients, which I can prescribe this to. Um, How do you navigate combining those two ingredients? So one of our latest launches is daily clarifying peel. Um, and that might product. be the product. Okay. It's amazing. So <laughs> that particular product does take a sal acid, an AHA and a retinoid together. I will say that that is specifically formulated for, you know, skin that's prone to breakout mm. because skin that's prone to breakout. When you think of like that kind of experience, it's, a buildup of dead skin cells, irregular cell shedding, um, that actually starts to clog the pores. So this combination of ingredients works well there. So ret- the retinol that we're using is a, is, um, a retinoid that's more of that upstream, more gentle approach. So retinol propionate, one of those kind of esters. And it is vitamin A is a normalizing vitamin. So we normalizing kind of that cell shedding process. So it actually is playing a nice role in helping enhance that for that skin type, let's say. And then salicylic acid, um, helping with the congestion in the pores and then glycolic acid, giving a nice, um, you know, level of exfoliation, surface cell dead buildup that you kind of want to get rid of to help clarify the skin. That doesn't mean it doesn't work for people who don't have acneic condition or breakout. Um, but I do always like to promote that particular product for more of the acneic skin, but it has had beautiful benefits for people with non-inflamed acne, you know, clogged, congested skin, Mm. um, just retexturizing the surface layers. Um, so we, we actually found a really nice balance in that particular selection of, you know, which, uh, type of retinoid were we going to use, um, in combination, you know, with, with some of the ingredients that you would typically think to not put together. (laughs) And I think, you know, I think our heritage in AHAs as well, it makes Murad a little, um, a little less afraid, I think Mm -hmm. to use that. I think, you know, we, we tend to be pro exfoliation for sure. I think in our philosophies and in our heritage with that glycolic acid, and, um, we do see great skin benefit from the, the use of AHAs in our formulations. And then of course, cell acid is a tried and true for, um, more of that acneic skin. So that's kind of more of the background behind that combo. Um, we do put the glycolic together with vitamin C, um, you know, careful to not put the glycolic together, maybe with like niacinamide, um, more of like a, a pH concern. Um, so, so yeah, so those are some of the decisions, I guess, that we're factoring into how we're putting formulations together, what we're putting the ingredients that we are preparing. Yeah. Well, this is not your first rodeo. You know, you guys have been working with AHAs forever and a day. So it's not as if you're just stepping into the lab today without any of that prior experience going, let's just mix and cocktail all of these ingredients. I mean, you're so well immersed in what you do and what you know that when you make that decision, it's from an educated point of view place. Absolutely. And we do just to also, I mean, this is, it's industry standard to do some level of safety testing, but what we do at Murad is like an in-use tolerability. Um, so we will do, um, 
even that extra layer of testing, you know, a two week panel to, to understand um, the different skin types and suitability and, you know, kind of almost, almost zero tolerance policy for any sort of, you know, pinging or irritation that we get on that. Definitely examining, not just on paper, how the formulation seems to us. And of course, taking that heritage into um, consideration. Yes, that's 30 year heritage of like formulating with AHAs, mm -hmm. um, but also, you know, putting these formulations to, to tolerability testing. Mm. You mentioned there um, glycolic and niacinamide, which should not be cocktailed together. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, is it copper and vitamin C should also not be cocktailed together? Are there products or ingredients that we should kind of avoid layering on top of one another? Because I think sometimes our clients and also us in our treatment rooms, we can get a little bit chef-like, you know, and want to start kind of having a little bit of a play around. Is there anything we should be avoiding? Yeah, I think, I, you know, when you're layering, maybe there's a bit more like safety to it. I think when you're putting, when you're making, you know, a formulation, I'm trying to find, yeah, like when you're putting the same ingredients here, then it starts to become a concern of like, do you have a stability issue, you know, as it relates to like glycolic acid at a lower pH for you as a gliad, as an exfoliant and niacinamide, niacinamide at a low pH wants to turn into nicotinic acid, um, which can give just a redness and a flushing response. Sure. Um, and some people can kind of take that as like, you know, irritating. So it can leave kind of the wrong impression. So we often are looking at not pairing those two particular ingredients together. Um, we have copper like ferments in some of our formulations. Um, the copper and the vitamin C, I mean, it's interesting because from a story perspective, I can see a nice collagen story there. Mm. Um, both of those kind of pertaining to, so maybe those are, are something that should be layered instead, um, instead of sort of formulated together. Um, cause no, I get it. I think people at home and estheticians, people at home like to try to be their own esthetician <laughs> and mix things. Estheticians love, they love that delight and that excitement of, you know, being able to almost customize for their, their, um, their customer, um, what they're doing to their skin to achieve the best results. So I'm kind of, a, I'm kind of, I get it. I acknowledge that like playing and mixing, um, it's, it's, it's kind of fun and you can get to some, a nice, a nice result by experimenting, but it should definitely be with experience and caution. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm wondering just to that as well, um, do you have any reservation with the likes of, you know, some of the um, strengths and um, perhaps, you know, the, the, I was going to say percentages, but we're not really talking about percentages. You know, I guess, I guess strengths is the right word mm -hmm. that our clients are getting their hands on in terms of like that retail um, skincare line at the moment. Yeah, it does. It does concern me. I think when they can have access, I think to a singular ingredient at such a high level, mm -hmm. and if it's on a daily use basis, um, is that something where they could be inducing a little bit of harm? I mean, I think dial dialing it back. Um, if you are using those like singular ingredients, you know, something like an HA, a high load of HA, or even a higher niacinamide, maybe not as concerning, but when you get into those acids and maybe playing mixology at home, um, 
yeah, I think you could start to maybe give, bring some damage to the skin. You know, if you are prone to hyperpigmentation, um, maybe you have more melanin rich skin. Those are skin types where you do need to be a little more cautious and slightly gentle so that you don't create, you know, a dark spot um, kind of situation because you've used too many acids or you've created irritation that's led to inflammation. And then the inflammation is led to a melanin response. And now you kind of have the scar that you have to deal with. And now you have a new kind of issue. So I think I would be careful with those singular percent um, formulations, especially if they're acids. And maybe I would space out the cadence in which I'm incorporating them into my routine. So I couldn't jump onto this podcast and not ask you about my favorite range from Murad, which is the pink prebiotic skincare range. Um, I believe you developed the nutrient water, which is my favorite moisturizer of all time. That gel is, then this is not even a plug. I'm just truly saying it is the best consistency in a moisturizer I have ever used, but I want to ask you what the benefits of prebiotics in skincare are, because obviously at the moment out in the industry, there's a lot of chat around, you know, pre and probiotics in internal supplements. And I think there's not really enough of that education for um, topical. I think you're right. I think so. What's most recognizable, I think, to the general population is that your gut microbiome plays a role in your health to some extent, it's like, even if they only understand to maybe eat yogurt after taking a round of antibiotics, or if they notice that physicians are prescribing antibiotics less and less. Mm. So the microbiome isn't isolated to just your stomach. And the microbiome is this combination of viruses and fungi and bacteria that are, you know, microscopic and visible to the naked eye. And they live on the surface of our bodies. They live in the gut, they live on the skin, and particularly this kind of gut-skin connection, as well as this frontier of microbiome as a whole new layer. We know barrier. Mm -hmm. um, we talk, you know, barrier all the time, but this invisible barrier, the secret life of skin, the microbiome is so exciting. Um, so I love that you bring that topic up because it's a difficult one, I think, to get consumers to understand. So I think some of the products that we put out um, for our hydration line played in prebiotics and were in, in theory really trying to help take hydrated skin and the health of a barrier to that next level um, and in a universal way. So our formulations in particular focused on prebiotics. So prebiotics are not the live bacteria that would be something like a probiotic. Um, and sometimes that definition can get dicey because some brands will say they're using probiotics, but it's not really a live bacteria. It's maybe a broken down fragment, um, you know, from a bacteria and kind of gets bucketed into that probiotic. So maybe that's up for a debate. Um, but prebiotics would be, you know, it can be something like like glycerin or xylitol, you know, different sugars, different fibers, chicory that actually feed the bacteria that live in our skin. And this combination of microbes or microbiota, um, it kind of wants to live in synergy. When it doesn't, that's called dysbiosis. And that leads to, you know, 
atopic skin, let's say, Mm -hmm. um, you know, irritation, acne, for example, is a great, it's a great example of having, um, P acnes in, well, C acnes specifically a strain of C acnes because not all C acnes bacteria creates acne. So you can play and really think about this frontier of microbiome as a formulator. It's so exciting in so many interesting, unique ways to get more and more targeted. So with prebiotics, we're kind of a bit more universal, but we're targeting feeding healthy balance um, in the skin. And a healthy barrier is synonymous with a healthy balance distribution, let's say diversity, let's say of that microbiome um, and vice versa. That diversity of the microbiome is really important to having that healthy skin barrier. So um, for products that featured you know, the, the prebiotic ingredients um, we, we had some excellent data at like delivering deep hydration to the skin, um, long lasting hydration to the skin, um, and prebiotics were, a, played a huge role, um, in, in what, what is the mist and what is the prebiotic cleanser. Um, and again, that's just, you know, a small feature cause it's, it's really looking at, you know, what we wanted to push that multifunctional, multi-purpose, you know, cleanser with a purpose, I guess. So <laughs> we wanted to be able to remove debris from the skin. We didn't want to strip it of the good. Um, we wanted to not dry out the skin, but we wanted to have ultra cleansing for, you know, melting away makeup and dirt and debris, um, and really nice moisturizing emollients that deeply hydrate. Um, but the prebiotics, you know, certainly played a role, um, in, supporting healthy barrier function, um, in those particular products. So I think it's a space we continue, I think to struggle, to be honest with you, to storytell it. I think it takes a lot of explanation that if I think the esthetician has an advantage because she's got a captive audience. Mm. Um, but you, you know, less so let's say in the retail space or even online, unless, you know, and consumers love to, consume information and data and, and now more than ever, but I think it's a really, it's still a hard story to tell. Mm. Um, you're, you might not pick it up in three seconds, but I think the good news is that the people that people understanding, you know, gut microbiome and all that's come from that, from an internal perspective, it's slowly making its way for people to understand from an external perspective and even your topical care can play a big role. And, and you talk about acne and right away, that's a great example of a disbalance and imbalance in your microbiome that, um, you know, you can utilize ingredients that, that help balance that out, take away the, the issue causing bacteria or reduce it. So it's, it's back in balance. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I, and I, I love that you brought those products up because I think, it's just such a rich space for us to pay attention to, um, an exciting space and a real one. I know it's maybe a lot less data, but it's, it's a constant in the spotlight emerging area of science, not only for our skin, even for our gut, they're learning more and more. So, um, I, as you can tell, I love that. topic. (laughs) Well, it, it makes so much sense. You know, when we, when our, our gut is out, it, 
shows on our skin. You know, when we look at Chinese facial mapping, you know, it's it's all relative to what we eat and how our um, how our microbiome is performing. So if we can also mirror that healing externally with our topical ingredients, you know, it's it's really a no brainer. Um, and you know, we've talked about AHAs and retinols and now prebiotics and um, our innovative skincare and ingredients just keeps on pushing boundaries. And I have one last question for you. Um, nonetheless, I'm sure that these boundaries will be continued um, to be pushed in 2022. I'm curious to know what you've got your eye on at the moment and, and what you kind of think will, will, will be surging for 2022. Do you think we are just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of the prebiotics and we're going to go further down that rabbit hole or is something else going to capture our attention and kind of steer us off the pathway altogether? Yeah, I think there's still a lot to uncover um, in the secret life of skin, this, this microbiome world, um, whether it's prebiotic or whether it's an ingredient that can act on the microbiome um, and maybe it doesn't necessarily feed it, but the, the certain bacteria breaks that ingredient down into something highly efficacious for the skin. Um, and and that, that, could be, that could lead to a brightening effect. It could lead to an anti-aging effect. Um, there's a microbiome play for probably almost any skin concern. Um, so I think there's still more science and research in that area to be had, but it's a rich area. Um, and it'll just be the storytelling part, I think, to really unlock it to the consumer, um, to help it soar. Um, because I actually, you know, what I see right now happening is, a lot of the AHAs and the hyaluronic acid and the niacinamide and collagen, like those very basics seem to really be resonating with consumers and bringing a lot of excitement mm. and it's recognizable. So I get it. Microbiome is not recognizable, yes. but if I were to really think about going, you know, precision, almost precision medicine with um, topical care and, and, and where we could really be play that a lot of it couldn't be uncovered within this microbiome. So I still have a lot of hope um, that that's where we can get really um, unique and precise with the way we target, um, you know, even something like acne, for example, and um, issues that, you know, you, you typically think of your salicylic acid and kind of other ingredient modalities, but there can be some really unique ingredients that are very highly targeted. And like I was saying before, not all C. acne strains cause acne. Mm. So are, there are technologies that actually um, specifically target the bacterial strains that are acne causing. So to me, that's a microbiome story. Um, you know, without being a prebiotic or a, even a probiotic, but it's, it's impacting that microbiome or that microbiota. So, or, or utilizing it or manipulating it or leveraging it to the skin's advantage. So that's the space that I think I believe in. Yes. And the thing, um, or the theme rather that you kept on mentioning there was that story, you know, and I think when we harness and understand the story and when we tell it insightfully, uh, and we can communicate that to our clients and and to you know the world, I guess. Um, that's when they have that light bulb moment and they completely understand it. And that's when they they purchase the prescription. They're a client for life and they return back. So um, yeah, a little bit of a bit of a gold nugget you've left us on there. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for this time shared. I, I am a bit more behind the scenes for the brand and in the product development aspect. So anytime, and of course, now you guys know my passion for this brand, anytime I get to bring it into the limelight, <laughs> I really, truly enjoy. So thank you so much for this opportunity. No, we so appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, if there's one thing I have learned from today's conversation, it is to continually challenge what you read and hear out in industry. And I just love Kristen's perspective on ingredients, cocktailing, and also the bit of myth busting that she threw in there for us to digest today. You can, of course, let us know what you thought of the podcast and this episode by sharing it over on your socials and tagging us at Butate Industry. Or hey, feel free to leave us a five-star review over in whatever podcast platform you tune into. Appreciate your time and your ears as always. Until next time, stay connected.